Well, today we are continuing our sermon series where we are asking the question, what's next? And uh, yesterday I was scrolling through Facebook and came across a post from um, a woman, I, I want to call her a, a kid, but she's not a kid, she is a woman now, and uh, she had a post that I thought, oh my goodness, this is just what, to me, what we've been talking about in this sermon series, but just to set it up, I knew this young lady probably a decade ago uh, when I first met her, she was in college and was a part of a, a college small group, a community group that I was help leading, co-leading, and, uh, and I remember just sitting with her and, and her her peers as they were really wrestling and struggling with the question of what's next. And the big thing they were asking, you know, was what's next in my life and, and what should I major in college? You know, what should my major be because that's going to determine what's next and, and then who should I date or not date because that's going to determine what's next. And I remember the wrestling. Now, fast forward 10 years and, uh, and I, and, you know, we, we've stayed in touch through the years, but this is the most precious post. Uh, She's just had a, a new baby, and, uh, and she wishes her husband a happy birthday. And she says, happy birthday to my best friend. Watching you become a dad to our little girl has been my favorite thing to watch and has made me fall in love with you every day over the last two weeks. Uh, my daughter and I, and she, I'm not going to say their names, but she said we're the luckiest girls in the world. And I love that because I watched her as she transitioned from college. I watched her fall in love. I watched her get married. And each season, as she was kind of asking the question, what's next? And, and I love the word right here. She said, watching you become a dad. Watching you become a dad. And I thought, this really speaks to kind of what we've been talking about, is that there are these transitional seasons in life where we are becoming accustomed to the what's new. And whether that's transitioning, you know, from college into, um, you know, real adulthood, if you will. I don't know. <laughs> whether that's marriage, whether that's having a baby, whether that's transitioning in your job, whether that is retirement, whether that is uh, learning to make sense of your world after a divorce, a painful divorce, whether after the death of a spouse. There are these moments that we all go through where we are becoming. Now, this post is super precious. There's another one where she says, we celebrated one week with this cutie. She said, Said, not going to lie, it has been a long, and, and the word goes, long week. And I thought, oh yeah, I know, the two o'clock feedings, the four o'clock feedings, the six o'clock feedings, the, the where you're just freaked out that you're going to kill this little thing. And then the other one, her grandmother, her mom, the new grandmama post, she said, this baby girl makes this new grandmama very happy. And I love that all the joy and everything that's surrounded in their new, their what's next, this transitional moment in their lives. And, and we all experience these. Um, and as we've mentioned, I think culturally, we are experiencing this right now as a, as a community. We are, I mean, as a nation, as a globe, we are in between pre-COVID and post-COVID. Uh, I think what's interesting to me, like four weeks ago when we started this sermon series or however many weeks it's been, uh, we were just beginning to get the vaccine. We had heard that there had been some that are approved. And, you know, the first couple of weeks there, the vaccine rollout was bumpy. It's still, you know, got his bumps and his things. But, you know, we are beginning to see millions of people getting their vaccine. And, and there's this hope that life can come back to somewhat normal. Uh, we've had, you know, the, the 
the transition of our, our who our president is. It was a little bumpy there for a week. You were going to say, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, now, now there has been the transition. Some people are super happy. Some people are super mad. But that is democracy. That's what we get to live with. And so we are transitioning and moving. I think for Mark and me and our staff here at Martha Bowman, we are transitioning as a church. Uh, one of the things that we had not done a lot before COVID was that, you know, pretty much in-person worship was where we put as a church, you know, really 95% of our energy and our time and our thoughts. And, and now what we're seeing is that um, right at half of our worshiping community worships in person, but the other half of our worshiping community worships online on Sunday morning. So, hey, if you're worshiping online, welcome. We are glad you're here. So we are also saying, you know, kind of what's next? What is even the church going to look like as we head into this new season. As we're thinking about this, um, we had talked about Susan Beaumont. She gave me a new word, maybe some of you as well, and it, she called this season a liminal season. And I know some of this is, is review, uh, but I just want to catch people up if you're joining us for the first time. But she gave us this word and, or a phrase, and it's called a liminal season. And she, she kind of gave us this word picture that liminal comes from the Latin word threshold. And it's the idea of when you are going from one room to another, outside to inside, you're going from one space into another, that there is a piece of wood. And that was, uh, and I can't pronounce the Latin word there. Uh, but anyway, but it, that's, it's the, it's the, the threshold is where that word liminal comes from. And we are in a time of transition. Um, another example might even be when you are in an airport, you are in a liminal space. Uh, you're not where you were coming from and you're not where you were going to, but you're in this transitional place. And sometimes this can feel anxiety or joy because you're facing the unknown. So today what I'm focusing on is that the power though, is we are transitioning through these liminal seasons, we've talked about the importance of grieving the past. We've talked about the importance of being fully in. We've talked about uh, making sure that we're asking the right questions, that the question is not, God, will you be on my side? But God, I want to be on your side. So we've kind of brought us up to some of these things that we've learned from the life of Joshua. But the thing I want us to focus on today is the power of telling our stories as we pass through these liminal seasons. And this is what I mean. The word remember, the word remember is used over a hundred and fifty times in the Bible. The people of God were remembering, they were invited to remember the days of old, they were invited to remember their covenant, and they were invited to remember God's faithfulness. And often in the scriptures, when you see the people of God going through a transitional period, uh, we talked about, you know, throughout this sermon series that prior to the book of Joshua, they had been in the desert. The people of God had been in the desert. They transitioned in, out of the desert into the promised land. They transitioned from Moses's leadership to, to Joshua's leadership. And often in these seasons of transition, you see them, whoever that leader is, when 
when they're getting ready to pass, pass, pass the torch, that they will retell their story. They will retell their history. We see it in the Old Testament. They would retell the story of the Exodus over and over and over in these transitional moments in their history. And then in the New Testament, we retell the story of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And we specifically retell it from the Methodist Church, typically on the first Sunday of every month as we celebrate Holy Communion. You know, we lift the glass and say, you know, uh, you know, this is the blood that was shed for many. As you drink this, as often as you do drink this, you know, do this in remembrance of me and the bread. You know, this is my body that was given for you. So there's this power of retelling our story stories. These sacred memories, these sacred memories help us see our relationship to God as participants in a larger community, a larger story, if you will. We are asking when we hear what we do next. These are our founding stories, our hero stories, our stories of hardship, our stories of when we were at our best, our stories of shame. They help us navigate the seasons of transition. We tell our collective triumphs and tragedies. These memories shape our identity. And when our stories are told in community, as we are doing today, as we do each Sunday, as we tell our stories in community, they help us remember what our values are, what's important, what our purpose is, and they help us forge our way into the future. Today, we are looking at uh, the retelling of the story of, of the people of God, the, the salvation story, if you will, that is found at the end of Joshua. We began this sermon series at the beginning of, the, of Joshua's story as he was transitioning. Y'all might remember um, God told him, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, Joshua, you lead. And we looked at the beginning of that, that his, you know, they were going into the promised land. The story that we're looking at today uh, comes from Joshua chapters 23 and 24, and this is the end of the book of Joshua. Now let's, let's listen in in Joshua 23. The years had passed, and the Lord had given the people of Israel rest from all their enemies, and Joshua, who was now very old. So now he is, I mean, we've, we've, we've walked with him, we've journeyed with him through this book uh, in the last several weeks to get together, and now he is very old. He calls together all the elders, the leaders, the judges, the officers of Israel, and he says to them, I'm a very old man. I'm old. Uh, see the acceptance, the surrender to what is. He said, you have seen everything that the Lord your God has done for you during my lifetime and the, how the Lord your God fought for you against your enemies. This is the beginning of these last two chapters. And I want to invite us to, to listen in to what he tells them because I think that how he helps and tries to prepare the people 
people of God transition to a new season, I think will help us as we transition into our what's next. So in chapter 23, uh, Mark's going to focus on that a little bit more next week, but he, he remembers, he reminds them of the covenant that they have. But then in chapter 24, verses 1 through 14, which is where we're going to focus on today, he retells them their story. He retells them their origin story. And I want you to listen with me just as I, as I read it. And I, I want you to, I want to invite you to pay attention to something that is repeated over and over and over. When you're learning to do Bible study on your own, and when I went to seminary, one of the things they said to always pay attention to is what does the author repeat? What is he? It's called repetition. And so often when you pay attention to that, maybe if you're doing Bible study, you can underline it, you can circle it. Um, but it helps you kind of grasp what is the big idea that, that the author, that the Lord is trying to communicate to the people who are the original audience, but also to us today. So imagine you were there. Joshua is an old man. He has gathered the people together and he says to us, Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. He begins to remind them of who their founder was. He was Abraham. He lived in the area to the east, uh, what we think of now as Babylon, and that area it would be like Iraq and, and that area of the world today. He said they lived beyond the Euphrates River. And he says, and they worshiped other gods. They worshiped other gods. I think what's significant here is it wasn't Abraham's devotion. It wasn't his faithfulness. There was nothing special, according to this rendition of the story, that made Abraham stand out from any other person who lived in that part of the world at that time. But in verse 3, he says, but I took your ancestor Abraham, from the land beyond the Euphrates, and I led him to the land of Canaan. So now he's moving. If, you, you know, if you've got your Bible map, um, he's moving from the east. He's moving over to what is now modern-day Israel. He said, I gave him many descendants through his son Isaac. And then to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. And to Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir, while Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Again, he's telling the story. He's, he's given us the synopsis of the book of, of, of Genesis. He says, Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I brought terrible plagues on Egypt. And after, I, after that, I brought you out as a free people. So just in a couple of sentences, he's retelling the story of how, and, and you know, y'all might know the story that Joseph was taken into captivity. He was uh, sold as a slave by his brothers, lived in Egypt. Uh, that They lived there for 400 years, Egypt and enslaved them, and then God leaves them out with a mighty hand through the leadership of Moses. He said, I sent Moses and Aaron. I brought terrible plagues on Egypt, and afterward, I brought you out as a free people. But when your ancestors arrived at the Red Sea, the Egyptians chased you with chariots and char char charioteers. So in other words, here's this moment of, of fear, of conflict, of danger. Oh no, are the Egyptians going to come and attack them and kill them? Oh no, are the Egyptians going to take them back? 
back to Egypt, what's going to happen? And he says, but when your ancestors cried out to the Lord, I put darkness between you and the Egyptians. I brought the sea crashing down on the Egyptians, drowning them with your very own eyes. You saw what I did. And then you lived in the wilderness for many years, 40 to be exact. But finally, I brought you into the land of the Amorites on the east side of the river. They fought against you, but I destroyed them before you. So now we're up in the book of Joshua. He's retelling this story. I gave you victory over them, and you took possession of their land. Then Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, started war against Israel. He summoned Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to him. Instead, I made Balaam bless you, and so I rescued you from Balak. When you crossed the Jordan River and you came to Jericho, remember we talked about that. Mark preached about Jericho and Ai. He said, the men of Jericho fought against you as did the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I gave you victory over them. And I, you know, and for us, this might feel like ancient history, but for them, they had lived through this. They had lived through this. I sent terror ahead of you to drive out the two kings of the Amorites. It was not your swords or bows that brought you victory. I gave you the land that you had not worked on. I gave you towns that you did not build, but I took your ancestor, Abraham. I led him. I gave him many descendants. I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave the mountains. I brought the plagues. I brought you out as free people. I put the darkness. I brought the sea crashing down. You saw what I did. I brought you into the land. I destroyed them before you. I gave you victory. I made Balaam bless you. I rescued you. I gave you victory. I sent terror ahead of you. I gave you the land. I gave you the towns. I gave you the vineyards. What, what, is, what is Joshua trying to do here? What is he wanting them to grasp and to see? I think he's wanting them to grasp and to see that God is still inviting them to be a part of God's big story. And it's not based on what they did. It's not based on, you know, there was nothing special about Abraham. He probably was worshiping other gods just like his relatives. But for some reason, God wanted to have a people that would follow him, that would love him. And he invited them into this covenant to be his covenant people, not based on their what they've done. And so in this retelling of this story. He is the story of their past and their present and their unknown future. He is inviting them to once again commit and dedicate themselves to be a part of God's big story. And this is how he says it in verse 14. He says, now that you've heard this story, we've remembered your history. So now fear the Lord Serve him wholeheartedly and put away your idols. Fear the Lord, serve him wholeheartedly, and put away your idols. He's inviting them as they transition to the next season to once again be faithful, to once again be faithful.
You know, they're asking what's next. They don't know what the future's going to look like. It's not painted before them. There is that uncertainty that my friend is probably feeling as, you know, she's at two in the morning and she and her husband hoping they don't kill this new baby. I mean, do y'all remember that? I mean, it just freaking you out. But, but the what next? He's saying, remember how I brought you to this place. I think the other thing that he's inviting them to think about is not only individually, what, remember what I did for you, but collectively, remember what I've done for you as, as a community. When we get to the book of Acts, um, when uh, Stephen, who, who was one of the, the first martyrs, is, is there and, you know, he's brought before the, I don't know, the Pharisees or whatever, and they're, you know, questioning and challenging him. Do you know what he does? He goes back and he retells the story. And he begins it just the same way that Joshua does, but he brings it all the way up to Jesus and how that, you know, Jesus was the fulfillment of this long line of the, the covenant people of God. And I think today that God is inviting us as a community of faith to be a part of the next chapter in the story of God. And we can choose to be a part. We can choose to fear the Lord, to serve Him wholeheartedly, to put away our idols. Or we can choose to be apathetic, to, um, to meander, to, to wander, to, if you will, just kind of, you know, I don't know what's even the word that I'm looking for. Just drift away. That's the word I'm looking for, to, to drift. What's so sad is that, you know, Joshua gives them this great challenge. But when you move to the book of Judges, if you know that kind of the big story, they weren't faithful. It says that after Joshua had died, that every man did what was right in his own eyes. And it was a very, very, very sad season. And you see that the highs and the lows, the, high, the faithfulness, the unfaithfulness, the faithfulness, the unfaithfulness. But today, I think God is asking us, as we head into our what's next. It's always a time to recenter our lives, to remember God's faithfulness, to remember our story, to remember what's important, and then to recommit to be fear God, to put away our idols, and to serve Him wholeheartedly. As I think about what's next, um, you know, the, the whole focus in this chapter was on what God did, God did, God did, God did. And so it might invite you to think, well, then okay, I can just take a passive stance. So that means I can sit around and watch Netflix. I can, you know, I uh, just stay on social media scroll. I can, you know, I can kind of pop in every once in a while, pop out to what the, you know, the, the, the community of faith I'm a part of is doing. I'm going to pop over and see what this person's preaching about maybe. But I think if we do that, if we have a um, kind of a haphazard attitude, I think we'll drift I think we'll drift. I recently was with um, talking to a person that's a good friend, uh, but they live in Alabama, and um, her husband's brother had passed away, and so Mark and I called. We're family friends, and we called to tell him we were sorry to hear that his brother had passed away, and it was a real sweet moment, but my, my friend said, she said, you know what's hard? She said, years ago, we, she said, you know, we've grown up in the church. She said, but years ago, we got out of the habit of going to church, and she said, and now, you know, 
know, our hearts are hurting. My, my brother-in-law has passed away. My husband's brother has passed away. And she said, because we're not in a community, there's nobody to walk with us through this. And she said, that makes this very lonely and very hard and very sad. And they're, they're not bad people. They're good people. You know, they're, they're good people and they love the Lord. But they've left that, um, they've become unintentional in their faith journey. So I think about God's part, which is, you know, I'm going to deliver, I'm going to guide, I'm going to help, all the things. But I think our part is to kind of live this out with some daily habits that reflect this, this aspect of fearing God, of serving Him, of putting away, that, you know, there's, there's something that we need to do. And I just want to invite you to think about these four practices as a way that you can kind of put yourself in the almost in the flow of what the Holy Spirit is doing, uh, things that you can do whether you feel like it or whether you don't feel like it at all. And, um, and the first one is this, and, and you're doing it today, um, and many of you online are doing this, but it's to engage fully with a local community of faith. Um, it's what Laura did today, to, to make it official, to, to engage fully in a local community of faith. The thing that I worry about so much is that the online worship, which I want to celebrate, has been a way to keep us safe. Uh, it is a way that for people who are not healthy, that they can still worship when you're traveling. But when that becomes the substitute for your connection with a community of faith, you're, you're missing something. You're losing something. Mark and I had the opportunity to talk to somebody, and they said, hey, just so you know, we're, we're worshiping every week. They said, but we don't always check in. We don't always say anything on the comment line, you know, but we're still there. And, and I appreciate that. And, and they have some underlying health issues. And so that's important for them to do what they're doing. But it's hard to pastor people. It's hard to care for one another, for us to care for each other if we don't see each other, if we don't have a place where we gather together, where we can see and check in. And so as we begin to, you know, the world becomes safer. Um, it's my hope that you you would, and you were doing this, but that we will continue to make this a part of our weekly rhythm where we gather with the people of God, if not at Martha Bowman, somewhere else where it's not, you know, a, a pastor that you like following in Atlanta. And there's some great pastors and I follow them and I listen to my podcast, but I'm not a part of that faith community. You know, if my husband gets sick and goes in the hospital, you know, that person I listen to on a podcast, they don't know my name. They don't know my story. They can't pick up the phone and call me. So the first thing is commit and engage fully with your local community of faith. And of course, for us here, that's Martha Bowman. The other thing is to engage fully with a smaller group within the church, with a smaller, a smaller gathering, a place where, you know, I call them your, you know, your, your two o'clock in the morning friends, that person that you can text and say, hey, I'm having a panic attack. Can you just pray for me today? Hey, my dad's in the hospital. Um, I'm, I am scared to death. I, would you, could you just pray with me? That person that, that you're on that long, I've, I've got a, a group of ladies that I'm on an, a text message thread with. And it's just, you know, it's all kind of stuff like, hey, my 
my, my, you know, somebody's got a job interview or somebody's in the hospital or, hey, can you pray about this? Can you, my daughter's going through this. It's that place where we, we're there for one another. Somebody sees me, they know me, they know my story. So engage with the larger community, but en- also engage with the smaller community. Um, the other thing is find a place to serve. Find a place, and many of you are doing that, but to ask the Lord, you know, what are those unique gifts and talents and skills and, you know, what have you given me that I can then be a part of what you're doing in the world today? Where it's not a, you know, the church is never to be a spectator sport. Uh, Ephesians talks about how God has placed each member in the body as he wills, and with each person, he's given a spiritual gift, but the but we are designed, kind of like we want to be a part of God's big story. Well, you got to engage fully. You got to show up. You got to play. You got to get in the game. Where's the place to engage fully? And the other thing, and I, and I hesitated to put this on here because people are funny when you talk about money. Have y'all ever heard that? But I think it's so important um, in terms of us engaging fully. And it's this, is that on a regular basis, give a portion of your financial resources to help others as a means of your worship. You know, whether that's, you know, giving your tithe or your 10% to Martha Bowman or, you know, wherever that is. You know, the beautiful thing is, it's like, you know, we always say the church doesn't need your money, but you need to give. And I I do believe there's something about wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And so what you care about the most, what you're passionate about the most, that's where you spend your time. That's where you place your resources. That's where you, that's a part of that kind of engaging fully. So I think as we engage in these practices, you know, being being an active participant in a local community of faith, showing up, just like, you know, the, the membership vows that Laura took today, that she would be loyal to Jesus Christ through the ministries of Martha Bowman, a local expression of the body of Christ, through her prayers, through her presence, through her gifts, through her service, and through her witness. I think as we look at what's next, we remember our story. We remember those who kind of, you know, who's on whose who's shoulders we stand today. Uh, those who, you know, we go, go to the, the traditional sanctuary and go, you know, see the, the, the beautiful picture there of Martha Bowman, uh, the person that the land was given, uh, the church where we sit today, her family gave the land for this church in, in her honor. Uh, you know, those who have gone before us and may we continue uh, with faithfulness in God's story as we look to our what's next.